Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids. A show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. future paleontologist. I'm Dinosaur George, and I am so glad to be spending my time with you. Are any of you as excited about the new Jurassic World movie coming out as I am? Oh, I'm excited, all right. I'm excited about any dinosaur-related show. And so I hope... um, You know, one of the things I wish I could do... I, I. I can't, unfortunately, but years ago when I think it's Jurassic Park 2, I think when Jurassic Park 2 came out, I published which um, which uh, theater I was going to go to. And then I told anybody, hey, if you want to come watch the movie with me, you can. And um, we had a big turnout. And it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately... Everybody that was sitting next to me kept asking me questions throughout the whole movie. Can that happen? Is that true? (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to watch the movie. (laughs) But I wish I could do that again. How much fun would that be if uh, I could meet a bunch of you and we all go watch the movie together and then afterwards kind of do a question and answer thing. Uh, I don't know when the opening date is. I I saw, I just saw the preview of it. I didn't pay attention to the opening date, but... um, Whatever the opening date is, I'll take a look at my uh I'll take a look at my my calendar and see if uh that would be something I think would be kind of cool to do. And that would be kind of cool. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing that? Anyway, I think that would be a tremendous amount of fun. All right, couple of things to talk about before we get started. Pretty excited about this. We now have 256,261 listens to this podcast. We are now in 127 countries and 8,024 cities around the world. So we just keep adding countries, and I'm so thrilled to have all of you out there. And a lot of it is because you guys are out there telling your friends and family about the podcast. You're sharing it with your classmates and your friends, and that helps a bunch. So thank all of you very much for for helping make this podcast successful. It certainly makes it worthwhile for me. Some shout outs. First one, I want to give a shout out to Elliot, Elliot Elliot Tyrannus, whose birthday is in just a couple of days. His mom sent me his drawings that were so awesome. They were great. I loved them. That is absolutely great. And I'm so glad to have you as a member of the Patreon Club, Elliot, And I just wanted to give you a special birthday shout out uh, to tell you how much I like those drawings. Also to Teddy, mom and dad, who all live in Warwickshire, UK. Thank you for being listeners. Thank you for taking the time to write to me. And thank you for supporting Elliot uh, in what he likes. It's such a, 
it's such a heartwarming thing to see parents that are out there. And that's that goes to all of you parents who so kindly take your time to send messages for those of your kids who are too young to write, but to send me messages and to post things on the Dinosaur George Facebook group. Um, thank you all for doing that. That's just so cool. Also, uh, a weekend or so ago, I was out at my store at Trader's Village and Luke, Joel and Nathan all stopped by. They lived in Liberty Hill, Texas, which is a pretty long way from San Antonio. But their mom and dad brought them by to say hello. They were taking sort of a little mini vacation. And I am so glad I was there, Luke, Joel and Nathan. I was there to meet you guys. Uh, I had so much fun talking to you. And uh, it was I enjoyed meeting mom and dad. And thank you so much for taking time out to come by and see me. I wish I could be out there every weekend. Unfortunately, I travel so much. I'm not there as much, but I'm glad I was lucky enough to be there when you guys stopped by and I hope you enjoyed your little mini vacation. I think I saw where I think your mom had posted that you guys had gone to some other places and that you all had a good time. So I'm so glad you came to San Antonio and had a little vacation time. And I'm so glad you were kind enough to stop by and say, Hey, so shout out to all three of you, plus mom and dad. Then my traveling museum stopped at Herforth Elementary in Rolla, Texas. We stopped at Ponder Elementary in Mansfield, Texas, and then Timberwild Elementary back in San Antonio, Texas, where I'm from. So um, shout out to all of the students. All of your schools were so much fun. You guys did a great job. Very proud of all of you. So many of you were able to complete the scavenger hunts. You really, really did a very good job doing those scavenger hunts. So um, I enjoyed very much seeing all of you, and I hope all of you had as much fun as I did. Now, today's feature creature was inspired from two things. One, one of the podcast listeners suggested it, but the other, I saw this thing on the promotion for the next uh, Jurassic World movie. So let's just jump right into it, shall we? It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. It was one of the largest flying reptiles that ever existed. Quetzalcoatlus. All right, let me say this again because I say this a lot. You may pronounce it differently. It doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong and you're right. There are different ways to pronounce dinosaur and prehistoric life names. So there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong if we pronounce the names differently. So Quetzalcoatlus is um, named after an Aztec feathered serpent god named Quetzalcoatl. And, and here's why I say Quetzalcoatl. I don't, I usually don't pronounce the L. Quetzalcoatl. The reason why I don't say Quetzalcoatl, I say Quetzalcoatl. A friend of mine is a, uh, a language specialist, a linguist, and she studies the Aztec language. And she said it's pronounced Quetzalcoatl. The, the L is silent, silent, Quetzalcoatl. It also looks like Quetzalcoatl, 
or Quetzalcoatlus, Quetzalcoatlus. Again, everybody pronounces it different, but Quetzalcoatl is how my linguist friend told me it's pronounced. At least the feathered god was pronounced Quetzalcoatl. So I call it Quetzalcoatlus. Sometimes I say Quetzalcoatlus. That's a habit I've tried to break myself of. There's not a second Q in its name. I say Quetzalcoatlus a lot, but it's not Quetzalcoatlus. It's Quetzalcoatlus uh, or Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatlus or Quetzalcoatlus. But if you pronounce it Quetzalcoatlus or Quetzalcoatlus, it doesn't make any difference. As long as we're all talking about the same thing, right? And that thing is a giant pterosaur. Quetzalcoatlus is a huge flying reptile. Now, originally, when it was first discovered, the estimate of size was 15.9 meters wide. That's 52 feet wide. That is the size of a small jet. That's a big thing. Now, the latest estimates of size are between 10 to 11 meters, which is like 33 to 36 foot wide. You're still talking about big. You're talking about really big. Listen, if that thing stood next to you and opened its wings, its wings are still the size of a small airplane. But why is it that first estimates can be changed? Why do scientists say one thing and then they change their mind? It's because more study, more discoveries, help scientists understand things differently. And so science changes a lot. When I hear people who argue something saying, well, I read that, okay, what you read may be accurate, but it may be very old information that has changed. I love when I hear that you all have dinosaur books and you like reading them or looking at the pictures if you're too young to read, and that's great. But if there's one piece of advice I could give you and especially any parents that are listening, always get new books because new books will have new discoveries, but they'll also have new information that may not be known when the first book you bought was written. And so sometimes kids have a favorite book. I know I did, but they read that book over and over and over. And then when they hear somebody or they read something that's different from what they've learned in their book, it's very confusing. That's because information changes. Science always changes. Never let somebody tell you that the science is settled. That's not science. That's politics. Nobody settles science. It's constantly changing. It's constantly improving. So when they first found Quetzalcoatlus, and the reason why I mention this is your book might say it's 50 feet wide, 15.9 meters wide. And now I'm telling you it could be 11, 10 to 11 meters wide or 33 to 36 feet wide. So why is it different? It's because new studies suggest, does it mean the new one is the right one? No, it just means it's the most current using the most available information and technology. This animal weighed about 70 kilograms. That's about 150 pounds. And that's not that much. That's not that much. That's as much as an average size grown up. 150 pounds. 
I just said it's 36 feet wide. How could it only weigh 150 pounds? It's because they are built like a giant kite, like a hand glider. You don't want a hand glider made of iron. It's too heavy. You'll never take off. So this animal is big but light. It was discovered in Texas. It lived in the late Cretaceous about 68 million years ago. When it walked, it walked on four legs. But obviously the way it traveled mostly is by flying. The diet is questionable because they've never found anything from what would be the stomach area to know for sure. But based on the size and based where it lived, this is an animal that probably eats meat, fish, reptiles, mammals, small dinosaurs. It doesn't appear to be an herbivore. It appears to be a carnivore. So how big really is this thing? Well, let me tell you something. It's three meters tall. That's almost 10 feet tall at the shoulders. When it's standing on all fours, its shoulders are three meters in the air, 10 feet in the air. It was discovered in 1971 and named in 1975. For all of you that listen to this podcast, you know why. You know why. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to tell you this podcast. If you're a new listener, you have to go listen to some of the other podcasts to find out why it was discovered one year and why this one took four years to give it a name. I'm not going to tell you. Because most of you already know why it takes so long sometimes. Now, Quetzalcoatlus, I said it again. I said quadl again. I do that all the time. Quetzalcoatlus did not have teeth. And a lot of pterosaurs don't have teeth. Some of the smaller Rampharynchoids had teeth, but they don't all have teeth. Quetzalcoatl is one of the ones. is one of the ones that does not have teeth. It is not a dinosaur. It doesn't come from the family of dinosaurs. If you have a book or you've ever watched a show where they said a pterosaur is a flying dinosaur, they are wrong. Dinosaurs and pterosaurs have a relationship, but not very close. Flying reptiles or Quetzalcoatlus is more closely related to a lizard than it is to a dinosaur. Uh, Quetzalcoatl is not a bat. It's not a bird. It's a flying reptile. Totally different family. So it's so big. It's such a big animal. Makes you wonder, how did this thing fly? Now, we know how it flies, right? Spreads its big arms, its wings, and off it goes. But how does it ever get off the ground? Does it sort of run and hop and jump into the air. Have you ever seen a bird called an albatross? If you've ever watched a video of how an albatross takes off, it takes them forever. They are literally running across the ground, flapping their wings, wanting to pick up enough speed to lift off the ground. I don't think Quetzalcoatlus could run like an albatross because its legs aren't built that way. So maybe it lived in environments where the wind was pretty constant, meaning it blew all the time. And so if the wind is blowing and you open your wings and you stand there, you can kind of just sort of jump into the air and the wind will come under your wings and it will lift you off. Have you ever flown a kite on a windy day? 
Sometimes you don't have to run and pull it behind you. Sometimes you just let it go and it takes off because the wind does all the work. So how did this thing take off? Well, it can't rely on a windy day every day of its life to fly. So it must have been able to flap those wings, I believe, because the wings are so wide. It didn't take a lot of energy to get it to take off. One or two flaps may have been all it took to get its body off the ground. And then after that, it could fly. Then once it gets into the air, it can glide without having to flap its wings. It might be able to glide all day without using any energy to flap its wings. But it is definitely a mystery. Now, landing wouldn't be that hard, right? You just angle yourself down and you come down and right before you land, you open up your wings like a giant air brake and you kind of stop yourself in midair and then you just drop to the ground, you fold your wings up and you stand there. Its legs are certainly something interesting, very different between other pterosaurs. And, and a lot of people call them pterodactyls. It's okay to use that nickname. That's not the proper name, but it's okay to use it. But I want you to practice referring to flying reptiles as pterosaurs. That's a better generic name. That's a better name than pterodactyl. Pterosaur is a better name for all the members of the family. So if you, if you can, I want you to practice your best. Practice your best to start calling them pterosaurs if you, if you currently call them pterodactyls. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. If you like calling them pterodactyls, you don't have to change that. But I just want you to become more uh, used to uh, the scientific terms. So its legs are different. Most pterosaurs, their back legs are super short and their arms are super long. And when they walk, they kind of have a weird little waddle. How do we know? Because we actually find the fossil footprints of pterosaurs where we can see how they walk. Plus, when a scientist puts its body back together, they understand where the bones go. And when they put it together, it looks like it would walk with a waddle. But with with Quetzalcoatlus, its front legs and back legs are long. It's, it stands more like a horse, meaning this thing may have been better suited for cro- moving across the ground. They may have spent time kind of trotting across the ground instead of always flying. It's easier to catch your food when you're on the ground than if you're flying through the air. So I think that they are spending more time on the ground than we might think only taking off when they have to travel a great distance or only taking off when danger approached. So maybe they get a running start on all four legs and then open their arms and jump. You've picked up speed. Maybe that's how they take off. But it does seem like they're better suited for being able to walk around easier without that strange little wiggly waddle that they do. Like, look at a crocodile. When a crocodile's on land, kind of doesn't do so good walking on land. They can when they have to. But when they're just walking, they use a lot of energy twisting and wiggling their body. But once they get in the water, man, look out. They take off. Well, that's kind of sort of like with most pterosaurs. When they're walking, they probably looked a little... We call it ungainly. It kind of looked a little strange. 
But once they're in the air, they're okay. But Quetzalcoatlus may not have looked like that. Quetzalcoatlus may have been galloping like a horse or walking fast, maybe not, not running as fast as a horse, maybe, but it certainly appears to be able to move around much easier. And that brings us to the last thing. What did it eat? How did it catch its food if it is a carnivore? And every indication suggests it's a carnivore. All pterosaurs, to my knowledge, were all carnivores, or at least they think they're all carnivores. So how did this thing catch its food? Well, I just gave you the answer, partly. I said that it, it can gallop or it appears to be able to move pretty quickly. So it might be able just to simply chase things down on land, chasing down small mammals and reptiles and, and, and uh, baby dinosaurs. This is a big dude, remember? So the one thing some people propose is that maybe it flew through the air and when it saw a fish in the water, it would kind of swim down, fly down and grab it. But the problem with that is that what if it accidentally crashes into the water? Now, those giant arms are not good for movement. In fact, it would be very hard for that animal to lift those wet flaps of skin out of the water and use it like a giant paddle, like an oar. That's not the way it's built. It's not made for that. In fact, some scientists don't even think it hung around the ocean as much as we might think. Whatever the case, if it's eating fish, it's probably on the shore like a stork or like a crane or a heron who are stabbing the fish with that long beak and using that as a way to catch food. And if you're as tall as Quetzalcoatlus, you can see fish all over below you. In fact, you might even stand there with your wings open, causing a giant, like a giant shaded area. Fish are attracted to that. Fish actually go under the shade because they don't want to be attacked from above. So if it opens its wings, it's making a giant umbrella and the poor fish that think it's a safe space go right into the spot where Quetzalcoatlus is using his gigantic beak to stab and grab fish. Maybe that's how it caught it. Whatever the case is, it's an amazing animal and I love it. Now, I will tell you this. Remember I said the reason why I'm doing this podcast, one of the listeners suggested Quetzalcoatlus, but also when I saw it on that promotion for the next movie, I was a little disappointed because it shows it attacking an airplane. And Quetzalcoatlus could never take on something as big as that airplane in that movie. It just wouldn't. It has too much to risk. Remember I said how much it weighs? It only weighs 70 kilos or 150 pounds. That means its bones are hollow. Its bone is not, this is not an animal made for fighting. Not like that. So I was a little disappointed in that. But we have to remember that movie is fiction. It's not real. And it's okay in fictional movies for the, for the movie makers to kind of stretch the truth a little bit. But the only reason why I bring it up is because I just want to make sure that you little listeners, you young listeners, remember, just because you see something on TV doesn't mean that what you see is the truth. Sometimes it's pretend. All right, uh, let's jump straight into some questions. How about that? 
Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, this first question comes from Preston, who's seven years old that lives in Ontario, Canada. Hi, Dinosaur George. Love listening to the podcast before bed. Good for you, Preston. I'm glad. Preston says, I'm learning a lot of things about dinosaurs. Why do Pachycephalosaurus have a big dome on their head? Well, that's question number one. Well, Preston, I believe, me personally, when you see something that thick, it absolutely serves a purpose. You will hear some people say it's just to kind of, it's to display to show off. That doesn't make any sense to me with this animal. Why would it need a nine inch thick solid piece of bone over its top of its skull? If all it's trying to do is draw attention, it could do that with just a little bump on top of its head or a flap of a bone or something like that. This is a weapon. I absolutely believe they are weapons. They might have been used as a way to defend themselves against predators. Um, they might have used them as a way to knock down prey if, in fact, they were omnivores, which some people think. I agree with that, by the way. Now, some people think they used it for combat with other members of the family that the males would fight with each other. But all Pachycephalosauruses, everyone found, has a dome. So... It would be different if one group didn't and the other did, because you could say, okay, that group is female. They don't need a headbutting thing to ram heads. Look at a ram. Look at a, look at a, 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 a um, bighorn sheep. The females don't have those gigantic heavy-duty skull with those big horns to be able to smash into each other. The females don't hardly ever do that. Males are usually the animals that fight for dominance or fight for girlfriends, or fight for property, land, territory. So I personally believe that that skull is just simply too big to be used for anything other than a weapon. It could be offensive or it could be defensive, but that's what I believe. Also, he said, why did they make T-Rex's arms so small? Why do they need them if they can't use them? Well, T-Rex's arms are small. Preston, but they're also very heavily made. They may have had a function. Maybe it's doing something with them. We just don't know what. So first of all, they might have still been functional. But the reason why they're small is over time, as members of the Tyrannosaur family continue to change and adapt and evolve, they discovered that their arms weren't as necessary. They didn't use them. And on an animal... If you have something that you don't use, little by little, it goes away. So it doesn't need them. If T-Rexes would not have gone extinct at the end of the Cretaceous period, let's say they continued on for another 20 million years. In 20 million years, the animal that would be related to Tyrannosaurus rex may not even have little stubby arms at all, may not even have anything. So animals change and they get rid of the things they don't use. That's why snakes don't have legs. Snakes used to look like lizards, but snakes no longer needed their legs. And over time, 
they didn't use them anymore, so the legs went away. So that's why T-Rex's arms are so small. All right, Elliot, age 10, from London. Hello, how did Dunkleosteus go extinct, and does it have any modern relatives? Thanks. P.S., can you do a feature creature on it? Hey, that's a good suggestion, Elliot. And thank you, by the way, uh, for you guys in Canada and in England who are listening uh, in all these different countries. I certainly appreciate you. Um, I don't know how Dunkleosteus went extinct. Probably because of environmental changes. And, you know, you never think about environmental changes in the ocean, but they occur just like they do on land. So if the environment changes, let's say that suddenly more sunlight starts getting through. Let's say the water is not as dark as it once was and more light shines through. If more light shines through, more plants can grow and more coral can develop. So if more plants and more coral develop, this big fish Dunkleosteus is not made for wiggling around through small openings. It hunts its prey in open, shallow water. But if all of a sudden there's all kinds of places for the prey to hide and Dunkleosteus can't get to them, it's going to slowly starve. And it could be something as simple as the water is not as muddy. Now, you might say, well, how does the water not become muddy? A number of ways. What if during the age of Dunkleosteus, there were, we know there was a lot of volcanoes erupting all over the world, and maybe that ash from the volcanoes ultimately waited, made its way into the oceans. So maybe the oceans were a little darker because of all the floating ash in the water. But over time, if those volcanoes stopped erupting and the ash stopped going into the ocean, that ash is ultimately going to sink to the ocean floor. And that would mean that more sunlight can shine into deeper water. Now, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just giving this as an example. So it's probably some kind of environmental change. Here's another thing about animals. If any of you like American football, if any of you have ever watched American football, have you ever noticed that a brand new quarterback will start playing and all of a sudden they become incredibly good? And their numbers go through the roof. But then the following year, they don't do so good. And by the third year, they're not as good as they once thought they were. Well, here's why. Think of the defense as the predator. Think of the new quarterback as a new kind of animal they've never seen. They don't know how it acts. They don't know what it's going to do. They have a hard time catching it. And that's why the quarterback is so good. But after the defense gets to watch that quarterback next year, they know what it's going to do. They know where he's going to run. They know what he does under certain situations. And now they're better at catching him and stopping him. By the third year, he's in big trouble because they all know what to do. Well, that's the same thing with animals. Let's take Dunkleosteus. Think of Dunkleosteus as the opposite. Think of Dunkleosteus as being able to catch everybody. But then new animals start to appear, and they are harder to catch. It doesn't know how to catch them. It doesn't know what to do. So it can slowly die out. So there's a number of ways animals can become extinct. It's not always some big, gigantic moment like an asteroid impact. Sometimes it can happen simply because of environmental change. Okay, Elliot, thank you. All right, Leo, who's five and a half years old from England. 
Wow, a lot of you guys from England and, and from out of the country. Good for you. Leo, five and a half, says, could a gang of Maposaurus take down an adult Argentinosaurus? Very interesting question, Leo. Leo, who's five and a half, going to be six. Very good question. Argentinosaurus, an adult, is so big that any carnivore is going to be very careful about attacking it. Because even if Argentinosaurus just hits you with its tail, it would have so much energy and force, it could shatter the bones. If it stepped on you, you're done. So, I still don't think that even a group of Maposauruses, and you can call them a gang, but just so you know, Leo, it's better to call a group of meat eaters a pack. So, I still don't even think a pack of Maposauruses would have a lot of luck, because the only thing they're going to reach are the legs. And those legs are super big, and it would take a lot to get through all that meat to get down to the bone or to the muscles to cause injury. And if you run up and bite it on the leg, it's just going to turn away and just the size of its body could knock you over and crush you. So in my opinion, Leo, I still don't think they would. But let's say they're starving and it's the only thing to eat. I say they can. But I would, I would think that by the time that Argentinosaurus falls, after they tear up one or both of its legs long enough to make it fall over, there's probably only going to be one living Maposaurus left, and he's going to have a buffet, a banquet. He's going to have so much food, he won't be able to eat it all. All right. This is from the Homer family, who wrote to me that said, Good afternoon. Our son Avery is a big Dinosaur George fan, and so we are bringing him to San Antonio for his seventh birthday on the weekend of the 18th of February. We are wondering if Dinosaur George will be at the museum that weekend. I am so incredibly sorry, you guys, but I am on the road with my traveling museum that weekend. I am so, so sorry. I I really, I really wish, Avery, that I would be there to see you. I am so sorry. But mom and dad, if you hear this message, um, if you will uh, contact me again through the contact page that you originally used. If you will send me um, uh, your, well, just contact me again so I can write you back and and I'll try to do something a little special for Avery. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do right now is how about, how about I sing happy birthday to both Elliot and to Avery? How about that? Let me say this right now. All right. I want everybody to look around. I'm talking to my staff. Look around and see if that little cha-cha-cha raptor's in here. For those of you that don't know, I choose a dinosaur that gets to sing happy birthday, but there's this little raptor called the cha-cha-cha raptor. He runs up to the microphone, says cha-cha-cha, and then runs away. It drives me nuts. He's the naughtiest little thing. I tried to get him out of here the last time, and he bit me a couple of times. So, how about, how about... We sing happy birthday uh, to both Avery and to Elliot, because I know you're both sharing a birthday. And this birthday is for everybody. Let me see who we're going to choose this time. What's in here? Oh, here's one. Let's choose a saber-toothed cat. Now, it's got really long teeth, so I don't know how it's going to sing happy birthday. But get up to the microphone, bringing up a Smilodon. Here we go. You ready? Okay, here we go. Happy birthday. Day to you, 
cha cha cha. Cut. Where did that thing go? Okay, hang on, boys. I'll be right back. Where did it go? I don't know. He ran up to the microphone. There he is. There he is. Are you listening to me? You come here, you. Come here. No, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna be Ow! Oh, 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 he's fighting me! Get him! <clears throat> Excuse me, everybody. I'm back again. Uh, before you finish singing, Mr. Sabretooth Cat, could somebody please bring in a box of band-aids? Because apparently I'm bleeding. Go back to I'm gonna eat you for dinner and spit out your shoes. Thank you. That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for that strange song, but you got to remember its teeth are really, really big. So, Homer family, I am so sorry I will not be there to see young Avery. Uh, I would have loved to have met you all, but uh, please accept my apology. I'm so very sorry, but happy seventh birthday to you. Okay, this is my little buddy Chosky, who's 10, from Dubai. I am a new year-round Raptor Club member. Welcome to the Patreon Club, my little friend. Glad to have you with us. Chosky says, I love your podcast, and can you answer this question? Of course I can. Are there large differences between Sorophaganax and Allosaurus? And is concavenator related to Spinosaurus? You know, when you look at the skulls of Sorophaganax and Allosaurus, I have both. Yeah, you can see quite a bit of difference, not just in the size, but in a lot of things, like the shape of the holes that you see in the skull. You guys ever notice that all the different holes in the skull? Well, those are different. And that's how you can tell it's a different dinosaur, but it has enough similarities to be able to say that it is definitely a member of the Allosaurid family. But there's enough differences. There's quite a bit of differences, I think. Also, I believe the hands are different. I, I used to have a skeleton of a Sorophaganax that we travel with, a big one. This thing was huge. And I also had an Allosaurus skeleton. And when you compared the two, you could see a lot of differences as well. Again, not just the size but some of the bones. So I think there is quite a bit of difference. I think it justifies Sorophaganax being its own species. As for concavenator related to Spinosaurus, I don't believe they are related. I mean, ultimately they are because they're both carnivores, but I think concavenator, I want to say, I think concavenator comes from a totally different family than, uh, than Spinosaurus. But great to hear from you, my friend. And like I told you before, Someday my plan is to go to Dubai to visit and you and your family will have to show me around. All right. Uh, this next question comes from Steviosaurus from Pittsburgh, who happens to be a Patreon member. Steviosaurus. Thank you, buddy. Steviosaurus. What a great name. Dear DG, I love listening to your podcast with my mom on the way to school. I am so glad to hear that. Mom, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you very much. Uh, we have a question for you. How do scientists know that dinosaurs could see in color or they could see colors? What a great question. That's a good question. Steve, and mom, that's a very good question. Matter of fact, it's dangerous, mom. So pull over first and then high five Steve, and then go back to driving again because you two deserve a high five for that question. So how do they know? Well, first of all, we don't have the brain of any of these animals because the brain decomposes when a dinosaur dies. But what scientists can do is they can take the skull 
of a dinosaur, and they could run it through a machine called a CAT scan, which is like an X-ray, only very, very much more powerful, much more powerful. Then they can see the space where the brain used to be. And then they can compare the shape of the brain to animals that are alive today, like birds and reptiles who are related. And they can compare the shape and they are able to say, ah, this big part of the brain here is exactly the same as the big part of the brain of a bird. And we know birds can see colors because they have all those bright colors and they've tested whether birds can see in color. So they do what's called a comparative anatomy. You compare a prehistoric animal to a modern animal that's closely related and you look at all the evidence. And so that's why scientists believe that dinosaurs could see in color. Now, there's no way to know for certain. But if your brain and the brain has different pieces and parts, all the brains are not one piece. There's different parts to it. If you have the exact same parts as an animal that's closely related, then it's a very sound scientific hypothesis, which means guess, that they could see in color. It's an excellent question. Very good, you guys. All right, Mom, now that you've finished high-fiving uh, Stevosaurus, you may now continue your drive to or from school. All right, Bennett, who's also a Patreon member, would like to ask, do you know Dr. Scott, the paleontologist from Dinosaur Train? Do you know I have never had the chance, Bennett, to meet him? But everybody I know says he is one of the kindest people. He's very, very kind, very polite. I'll tell you guys something. There are all kinds of amazingly nice people in paleontology. Incredibly nice people. Three The, the three that always come to mind immediately for me is Dr. Phil Curry, who is unbelievably kind. Dr. Larry Whitmer, who is just such a kind guy. And Dr. Tom Holtz, who is also so kind when he speaks to people. Those three paleontologists are incredible. Well, I've heard that Dr. Scott is the same way. And I'm glad that they chose him to be the paleontologist because if he is as nice as everybody says he is, and I, I absolutely believe he is, then he's the perfect role model for young people. So good for them for hiring him. I one day hope to meet Dr. Scott. I may try. You, you know, something I want to ask you all. Would you guys like it if I maybe contacted some of my friends and interviewed them on a podcast? I used to do a grown-up podcast. Uh, but if, if you know what? If you would like to hear that, if you are a, a Patreon club member, send me a message and tell me if you'd like to hear uh, an interview with, with a paleontologist. If you're part of the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, have your parents or you send me a message and say, yes, we would like to hear a paleontologist. Or you can go to my website, which is dinosaurgeorge.com, and use the Contact Us button and send me a question that way. So if you would like to, I'm sure they would probably enjoy it. But uh, anyway, I would love to be able, maybe if I do it, maybe I can contact Dr. Scott and see if he would be willing to do that. Now, these men and women are very busy in paleontology, so just remember, they're not always available. Okay, Heathoraptor. Ah, my friend Heathoraptor. This, stum, this summer, Nino Stinko, that's his new nickname, wants to go fossil hunting and see drawers of fossils. Where would you recommend? He'd appreciate finding a T-Rex tooth if possible, please. You know, that would be great. Um, 
some, I mean, obviously to go fossil hunting, here is what I recommend. The first thing, depending on where you are going, the first thing is to find out if they have a fossil club in that area. Go online and see if there's a fossil club. If there is, they are a great resource for telling you places you could go look for your own fossils. There's a book out. I think there's one for every state called the Roadside Guide to Geology. There's one for Texas. And when you buy that book, it will tell you places you can go to look for rocks and fossils. But as for going to places to see drawers full of fossils, that's going to be more difficult because that's usually a collections room of a museum. And generally, they won't let the public go back there and look through those. But you might get lucky. Uh, Maybe if you go in, go into a museum, ask to speak to a paleontologist and ask if they would allow you, if they would be willing to take you into their collections room. Some of them might. All right. That's great. Good job, Heatheraptor. All right. Dino Malcolm says, hi, DG. Which Truodon was smarter, the North or Southern Truodon? Well, there's an idea that there's two different species of Truodontids, one that lives in the South and one that lives in the North. They appear to be related, but they are two different animals. So which one is the smartest? The only way I would be able to guess that would be if I would be able to see the brain sizes, and I don't have access to that. So I don't, unfortunately, Dino Malcolm, I don't know. This is a very, very good question, but I do not know which of the two would be. I will say this, though. I will say this. Animals that live in colder environments oftentimes maybe live in a harsher environment and therefore maybe require them to be a little more smart or clever than an animal that lives in the South because it's harder to find food. You've got to do certain things in the North. Maybe they're not smarter, but maybe they're just a little trickier. Maybe they have some clever ideas of being able to to catch food. Maybe that gives them an edge. I don't know for sure. All right, uh, here, Johnny, who's also a member of the Patreon Club. Johnny has a question for you. Are there any prehistoric rabbits? There are a bunch. One of them that I study a lot is one called Paleolagus. I used to go to Nebraska and find mammals, and I'd find Paleolagus all the time. Little jaws, little teeth, uh, bones, skulls. I love those little rabbits. I know there's a bunch of other ones as well, Johnny. I just don't know the names of them off the top of my head, but there definitely were. And then uh, Johnny's brother, Jerry, has some more podcast suggestions. Purosaurus, which is a huge crocodilian, and Sarcosuchus. Two very, very good ones. Those are good ones. I will definitely try to add those to my list. All right. Let's go and let's do... Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right. Now, these are all coming from my T-Rex members of the Patreon Club. 
One thing about them, um, I get so many that sometimes it's two or three weeks from the time they submit them till I get to get them on a podcast. So this first one is from Ari. He says, I'm a new Tyrannosaurus member. Now, it could be Ari has been a member for more than a month, but I just wanted to mention that, Ari. I know that you've been with us for a while. I'm just reading exactly what you wrote, and that's why I'm saying you're a new member. But I know you have been with us for quite a while. So Ari says, I'm a new member. Welcome to the Tyrannosaurus Club. I enjoy your podcast and listen to it with my parents every day. Good for you. Ari, walk over, give your mom a hug, and say thank you for loving me so much that you'll sit with me and listen to this podcast. I'm going to wait for you to go over there. Okay, there you go. Now, go over to your dad, hug him and say, Dad, can I borrow 50 bucks? If it worked, Ari, send me half of whatever you got out of him. But chances are he's going to be cheap. He's just going to laugh. And then he's going to write me a letter and say, stop telling my kid to borrow 50 bucks from me. I'm kidding you. Tell your dad you love him too. So glad that you spend time listening with your parents. So here's is who would win. Who would win? T-Rex versus Soravaganax versus five Utah Raptors. Thank you, El Stinko. Well, Ari, I... What did you just say to me? T-Rex versus Soravaganax versus five Utah Raptors. Thank you, El Stinko. I'm not El Stinko! What? How many times do I have to tell you kids this? No one knows the identity of El Stinko. El Stinko is an amazing superhero. Better than Superman. Better than Spider-Man. Smarter than all superheroes. But no one knows who El Stinko is. It's not me. Stop accusing me. Ari. Mister. Gonna borrow 50 bucks from dad. So Sorafaganax versus, well, T-Rex versus Sorafaganax versus five Utah Raptors. Very good battle. Very good one. T-Rex is going to have the power, but Sorafaganax is a big dude. But then Utah Raptors are fast. Man, you've given me a tough one here. You've given me a tough one, buddy. T-Rex is going to have the raw power, but Sorafaganax has got longer arms with three claws. Maybe that gives Sorafaganax a little bit of an advantage. But how do you stop five Utah Raptors? Man, man, how do I choose this one? How do I choose this? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Sorafaganax is from the Jurassic. Utah Raptors are from the mid-Cretaceous. Tyrannosaurus Rex is late Cretaceous. In my opinion, dinosaurs that were living at the end of the Cretaceous are probably more advanced because they have been developing over the generations. And advanced meaning probably outsmarting everybody else. You're not just reactionary, meaning you don't just react to something you think ahead of time. I'm going to give this fight to Tyrannosaurus Rex solely based on the fact that it, um, that it, was a later dinosaur and therefore probably has an advantage. Stop calling me old Stinkle because that's not who I am. No one knows the identity. Cha 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 of it. Are you kidding? You're back again? Oh my. Okay. Between this kid, or between you kids and this little cha 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 raptor, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my mind and it's going to be your fault. All right. This is from Rowan, who lives in Florida. Allosaurus versus Spinosaurus. Ooh, this is a good one. Now, Spinosaurus, Rowan, is way bigger. You knew that. 
But Spinosaurus, for all the evidence, suggests it suggests that it is better suited for being a fish eater. Suggests it. Allosaurus is a big game hunter. I'm not choosing Allosaurus just because it's my favorite dinosaur. I, I'm seriously when I, I'm serious when I say this. I believe Allosaurus is better designed for a fight. Yes, the skull of Spinosaurus is ginormous. Its claws are big. Its size is big. But it's not really better suited against an animal like Allosaurus. I'm going to give this fight, Rowan. I'm going to give this to Allosaurus. And not just because it's my favorite dinosaur. I don't do that. I treat it fairly. But that's my opinion. All right. And Dominus Phillips suggests Brigmophysetter versus Titanoboa versus a Mosasaur. Nice. We've got a giant meat-eating whale, a giant snake, and a giant swimming reptile. Wow. Well, Titanoboa is, can only do one thing. Wrap itself around you and squeeze you to death. I don't know if being underwater changes any of that. You know, the way modern boas hunt is they'll sit in the water or on land and grab something and wrap it up really quickly. But I don't think they drag it down under the water to squeeze it. I want to say their head has to be up near the surface because I think when a constrictor squeezes, it is pushing the air out of its own lungs or its lung. So I think that they have a disadvantage underwater. So I'm going to say Titanoboa is going to be out, even though it's big. I say it's going to be out because there's only way to fight these two animals, and that's in the water. So right now, Titanoboa is out. Now that leaves the giant whale versus a Mosasaurus. So a Mosasaur doesn't act. Well, wait, they both have to come up to breathe. They both got teeth. I'm going to give this fight to Brigmophysetter, the whale. And here's why. Mammal brains are way bigger than reptile brains. Mosasaur's brain is not nearly as developed as a Brigmophysetter. And therefore, I think it's going to have an advantage. I'm going to give this fight to Brigmophysetter, but that's a great battle. Those are very good. All right, this next one is from Cairo. Uh, Dinosaur George with no stink bombs versus Smilodon. Okay, look, kid. The only weapon I have are my stink bombs. It's the only thing I have. I am the only creature on planet Earth that has stink bombs that I... Okay, wait a minute. Wait, forget that. Forget I said that. There are two things on planet Earth that have stink bombs under their arms. Me and El Stinko. Not the same. We're not the same. No one knows the identity of El Stinko. So if you're going to take my stink bombs away from me against a Smilodon... How am I possibly going to last for more than three seconds? It's got teeth. It's got claws. What do I have? Nothing. So unfortunately for me, thank you, Cairo. Unfortunately for me, I'm going to get eaten by a smiling on. Great. <laughs> All right. Silas, who's in Washington State, says Titanoboa versus Nanotyrannus. Now... Now Titanoboa has the, uh, has the advantage. I don't think it's capable of swallowing a Nanotyrannus, but it's still, if it's defending itself, it's going to want to kill it. 
I believe in this particular battle, Titanoboa will be able to get its coils around a Nanotyrannus. And I think it would be capable of beating it. I'm going to give this to Titanoboa. Nanotyrannus, if it's discovered that that is indeed a new species, or if it's not, then it would be a juvenile Tyrannosaurus and it would still lose to Titanoboa. Good one. Very good one. Okay. Evisaurus says, who would win between Allosaurus versus Dinosaur George, who is also El Stinko versus T-Rex? Now, Evisaurus... You. Stinking kid. You stinking kid. I am not El Stinko. No one knows the identity of El Stinko. <laughs> so who would win? Allosaurus versus me versus the T-Rex? Yeah, like I'm going to have a chance. Unless I've got my awesome stink bombs. T-Rex comes from the right. Allosaurus comes from the left. They're closing in. Their mouths are open. They're roaring. They're screaming. And just as they get there, I raise up both arms and they both fall unconscious to the ground. I am the champion. I'm not El Stinko. All right. This is from Pierre who lives in Vancouver lives on Vancouver Island. I am nearly seven years old and love your show. Thank you, Pierre, and thank you for being a Patreon Club member, buddy. I would like to propose Spinosaurus versus a Mosasaurus. Thank you, Dinosaur George. You're welcome, Pierre. Thank you for the politeness. Wow. Wow. Spinosaurus would definitely be in the water. If a Mosasaur would grab it by the leg and maybe drag it underwater, a Mosasaur spends the majority of its time underwater. I believe Spinosaurus spends the majority of its time with its head out of the water. And therefore, I would think that a Mosasaur's lungs would be larger, and therefore it could hold its breath longer. Now, I cannot say this with any certainty, but that's my guess. And so I believe a Mosasaur would have some kind of some kind of advantage, but man, if Spinosaurus turns around and uses those jaws, then I don't think a Mosasaur is going to last very long. This is a tough one, Pierre. This is a tough one. I'm simply going to give it to the Mosasaur because underwater is its probably best element, and I'm going to give it to him. And here is the last one. This is from a new member named Malcolm, who would win between Megalodon versus Dunkleosteus. Like this one, buddy. I like this one, Malcolm. Welcome, by the way, for being a member. Megalodon versus Dunkleosteus. Well, size goes to Megalodon. Fight for, uh, bite force goes to Megalodon. Agility would go to Dunkleosteus. It could probably outmaneuver and could probably turn quicker. But I don't think it's going to be able to stand up to Megalodon. The reason why I say this, Malcolm is the jaws are so much wider that any bite is going to nearly cut Dunkleosteus in half. Dunkleosteus, on the other hand, could give a horrible bite into uh, Megalodon, but it would be, unless it bites into a vital organ, it's not going to do it any good because Megalodon isn't like other animals that it has bones and 
and uh, muscles that can be destroyed. So the bite wouldn't be as devastating, I think. So in my opinion, I believe that Megalodon is going to win this particular battle. If any of you would ever like to submit a who would win, unfortunately, you have to be a Patreon Club Tyrannosaurus member to do so, but I hope that you will consider joining. Let me play just a short commercial only because I want to catch my breath. When we come back, we will wrap it up by jumping over to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page, and I'll read some of the comments from there. For right now, let me play some information about Patreon, if any of you would like to join. And and one thing I want to say, kids, and I'm very serious about this, I know. I know that you kids that listen to this podcast probably ask your parents all the time about becoming a member, but I want you to remember something. Your parents have all kinds of things they have to do. They have to buy food. They have to pay for your housing, the gas for the vehicle that they take you and they take you back and forth to school or wherever you go. They have to buy you clothes. They have to pay for medicine. So you can't, you don't have to be a member to enjoy this podcast. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to play an ad this time because I do worry a little bit for, for all of you parents. Obviously I have to, I have to pay bills as well, but I never want to put you in a situation where it's almost like you're being ambushed. You know what I mean? Like when you go to an event and they're selling toys at the event, but the toys are like so overpriced you're put in such a difficult situation because how do you say no? And so for, I just want all of you kids to know you don't have to be a Patreon club member. You don't have to be a member of the dinosaur George kids. And that's totally free. There are ways you can contact me when you go to my website, dinosaurgeorge.com and click on the dinosaur George kids podcast page. There's a little form where you can send me questions. So, parents, I'm, I'm not even going to play a commercial in this particular podcast. We're going to go straight over to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group. This first one is from Kayla, who says, hey, Alstinko, Everett wants to know. Okay, right off the bat, right off the bat, the first one I read is he calls me Alstinko. Everett, what kind of child are you? What kind of kid are you? Ever wants to know why does Indoraptor have a yellow stripe? Well, you have to remember Indoraptor is an animal that they made for the movie. It doesn't mean that that would be a dinosaur's actual color, but I will say this yellow is a very important color when it comes to animals. Yellow is a warning color that tells other animals to stay away. Indoraptor, if it indeed had a yellow stripe and if it was a real dinosaur, maybe that's just a warning to tell other things to stay away. But in my opinion, it would be harder to hide as a predator. So if it had a bunch of stripes, that would make sense. But if it just has one yellow stripe, they probably did it just to make it look cool. But color is very important. Okay. Uh, this is from the Moss family. From the land where Minmi, Australoveneter, and Wintano Titan were found. Hamasaurus has drawn some pictures. This is from Australia. Hamasaurus has drawn some pictures and he hopes I enjoy it. Well, these look absolutely great. These look really good. What do we have here? Let's listen to this for a minute. Oh, wow. 
so it's just awesome music. It's awesome music that goes along with the drawing. I love it. Love your drawings. Love. Is that a big T-Rex tooth you have? That is absolutely great. That is so cool. Thank you, Hamasaurus. Love that. I'm coming to your country one day, and you have to be there to show me around. All right. Uh, Cedric is going to a new museum uh, at a local science world. I hope you enjoy yourself. I hope you have a great time, Cedrosaurus. Thank you for posting, Mom or Dad. I appreciate it. Please do a follow-up and let me know uh, how you liked it. All right, Benedict from Sydney, Australia, joined the Raptor Club last year, and our welcome package finally arrived. It takes so long. Benedict was so excited and put the killing claw on his foot. <laughs> Thanks, El Stinko. We'll see you the next lesson. Well, let me tell what. What was that last line? Okay, listen, Benedict, you little stinker. I am looking forward to seeing you on the next lesson. Uh, and uh, you look hilarious. That's cool. You look like a little raptor. You have dinosaur pajama, pajamas on, a dinosaur shirt, and now you've got a raptor toe. Benedict, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mom or dad, thank you so much for letting me know it finally arrived. It does take forever for those gifts to arrive when we send them to Australia and around the world as well. But thank you. Uh, thank you so much for letting me know that he got it. And that's absolutely great. And then this is from the Schneider family, who's got great video of a whole Jurassic Park that you guys built. Great pictures. I love this very much. Those are wonderful pictures. Thank you so much for sending those to me. I love them. That's very, very good. All right. What else have we got? Hey, this is from Emil. Uh, I'm writing from my mom's account. I'm 11 years old, and I wanted to share this drawing with you. I just learned English and I discovered your podcast. I really love it. Have a nice day. What an amazing piece of artwork. I think I pronounced your name Emil correctly. I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I only say that because I know a young lady whose name is Emily and that's how they spell it. So I don't know if it's Emily, but I think yours is Emil, I believe. But if I'm wrong, I'm so very sorry if I'm inaccurate with that. But regardless, of how I pronounce your name. You are a very talented artist. That is an excellent drawing. I'm glad that you discovered the podcast. Shout out to you, my little friend. And I'm glad that you are learning English. I'm very proud of you. Very, very proud of you. That's very, very good work. And this is from Gemma, my great friends over in England. I now think that Gemma and her husband and her daughter are part of my family. I have adopted you guys. I just want you to know Gemma was out and she found a place called Cha 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 <laughs> Cha Cha Chai, which is a which is a tea place. <laughs> and now she thinks or she's telling me that that little raptor now is appearing over there in England. <laughs> Susie Source, thank you for making mom pull over and take a picture. That thing is going to drive me nuts. And now if it has a little restaurant, that's going to be even worse. That's going to be even worse. Now it has its own restaurant. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. Uh, and it's Emil again sent a really cool 3D dino lamp. I like that a lot, man. That is so cool. That's great. And then Joey Seralifus on his 100th day of school project took a picture of 100 of his five favorite dinosaurs 
from toys, books, and puzzles, and his T-Rex and Raptor Claw, because he's a T-Rex member, and he showed them to everyone at school. What a great picture, Joey Seralifus. What a, that's a lot of work. You did a lot of work. Happy 100th day to you, my little friend. That is so cool. And then this is from the Caller family. Ethan wanted to show an edible diplodocus he made. Okay, that thing looks yummy. Uh, I don't know where you guys live, but I'm on the way to your house right now because that looks, I've never eaten a whole diplodocus before, but that looks great. That looks absolutely great. And then this is so cool. This is from the Jones family. Um, this is so good. Uh, it's a Heartosaurus Rex, which is like the most beautiful Valentine's Day, day gift. And this is from her daughter who has autism. Sweetie, this is such a wonderful gift. What an absolute wonderful gift. That's very, very cool. That's so kind of you to send that. All right, Uhtred wanted to share his dino scene. Ooh, he has a mated pair of T-Rexes with their babies hunting two baby Amargosaurus with their mom. He also included a prehistoric plant life, insects, amphibians, and reptiles. This is great. This is really good. You've got a whole scene going on. Uhtred, you did such a good job. You always do such a good job. You're so artistic. Very, very proud of you. That's absolutely excellent. And then here is my little friend, Susie Soros, who's Gemma's daughter. This is so good. The, um, the Wild Warriors, who I got a chance to do a, a private lesson for the Wild Warriors, they had a day out at a local museum, and there was a competition to name a dinosaur. Let's see what you guys named it. Uh, El Stinko and Little Georgie Pants. You rotten kids! You stinking kids! What kind of a name is Little Georgie Pants and El Stinko? No one knows the identity of El Stinko. And I'm not Little Georgie Pants, and you are all going to be in so much trouble. When I come to England, I'm going to hunt down the whole Wild, wild Warrior group, and you're going to pay. Oh, you're going to pay big. <laughs> this is great. This is from Ezra, Ezra, Ezra Raptor, who's seven who needed to make a Valentine's box for school. He decided to make the Jurassic World Lagoon with the Mosasaurus eating a shark. He did all the design by himself. His dad helped with some of the engineering. This is amazing. Uh, by the way, Ezra Raptor is a T-Rex club member. And I'm so glad. And, and I understand that sometimes they forget to put things on the, <laughs> sometimes mom and dad forget. Mom and dad, listen, uh, I just... We have a we have a um, we have a lesson that's happening in about three hours from right now. Of course, by the time this podcast is posted, you probably won't hear it. So anyway, I, I hope and maybe what I need to do is I need to send more reminders. So it's really it's my fault. But this is beautiful. This is great. Ezra Raptor, I am so incredibly proud of you for doing this. This is absolutely beautiful. What an incredible job. Nicely done. Um. This is from the Schultz family. Uh, five-year-old young Mr. Schultz said he's excited to listen to you and can't go to sleep when he can't go to sleep. So are you selling I put you to sleep? Because that's awesome. Here is an amazing picture of Dinosaur George being saved by a helicopter with an Ultra Rex helping him while they are fighting a Brachiosaurus. Sydney, Australia. He's in Sydney, Australia and just started school this week. Well, 
Welcome, my little friend. Special shout out to you, Kaiser, who is five years old. I am so proud of you, and that's a great picture. And thank you that I got saved before a, a uh, Brachiosaurus stepped on me and turned me into a Pancakeosaurus. This is great. Thank you, buddy. I love that. Uh, Josiah is being naughty today. Oh, great. What did you do, Josiah? He has a message for someone in the Dinosaur George organization. Exactly which person? I'm not sure. Well, he drew a beautiful picture of a dinosaur, and it says, Hi, El Stinko. Well, I... Josiah? Josiah? You seriously? You seriously? Said, Hi, El Stinko. That thing is attacking me? You. You are being naughty. Naughty little kids. All of you are the naughtiest kids in the world. All right, Cole from Massachusetts went to his first museum today, the Harvard Museum of Natural History. He saw a Kronosaurus that was bigger than he could ever imagine. Oh, this is great. This is absolutely great. Uh, saw a killing claw of a Deinonychus, a real one, which is even more exciting. Cole's question was, what subjects do kids need to learn about so they can become a paleontologist, and how long does it take? Well, most people spend at least four years in college if they want to become a professional paleontologist. And the things to study, I'll tell you right now, there's a couple of things for all of you. Practice your reading, because reading is obviously very important. Practice math. They use a lot of math. Paleontologists use a lot of math. And also, if you're from the United States, learn the metric system. Now, Cole, don't worry about any of those right now at your age. You don't have to worry about that. If you're not good at those, that doesn't matter. You will because you're still young. But when you get older, those are the three things that you want to be able to learn. Those things are very important. Practice your reading. Practice your math. Those are both very, very important. This is great. This is from my little friend, Caitlin Raptor's mom and dad, who sent me a great picture an amazing picture as they're driving down the road. Somebody's driving with a dinosaur in the back of the truck. <laughs> That's great. It wasn't me, but that was absolutely amazing. That is so cool. All right, here, Oscar Carnotaurus drew a really amazing picture of a stegotops, which is part stegosaurus, part triceratops. I love it. And I like those pictures. I mean, your color. What a great job you did, uh, Oscar Carnotaurus. I'm sorry, Oscar Notorus. Oscar Notorus, not Oscar Carnotaurus. It's Oscar Notorus. I always say that wrong, Oscar Notorus. Can you believe it? Well, that's what happens when you get as old as me. Great drawing. Love the colors. Excellent picture. That's great. And that smile of yours. Every time I see a picture of you, you're smiling. All right, let's see. Uh, this is absolutely amazing. This is from George Allosaurus. Who would win? Carnotaurus versus Tyrannosaurus Rex, who is trying to steal Carnotaurus's food. Well, Carnotaurus is going to be awfully mad if somebody tries to steal his food. And at least from this picture, you've got an adult Carnotaurus with a young Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm going to think, George Allosaurus, I'm going to think that that bigger Carnotaurus is going to win. It's a great question. That's a great picture. All right, here's another one. This is from, let's see, um, this is from Fred Allosaurus, another great member. Uh, this is uh, George Allosaurus's brother. Who would win? Indominus Rex eating a T-Rex. Uh, uh, who was that? 
uh, Triceratops trying to knock down the T Rex, and an Ankylosaurus is trying to get down to try, trying to get down the Triceratops. Well, okay. First of all, you have a melee going on. Everybody's fighting everybody. Here's what I think would happen. I think the Triceratops would jump on the back of the Ankylosaurus, and they would become a multi weapon. They could charge at these two dinosaurs, horns in the front, club in the back. I say the the uh, the plant eaters form a team, and they would win. All right, this is from Judalophosaurus, who was so inspired by Dinosaur George that he's been asking to organize his own local club. Mom finally agreed, and we held our first meeting in our local library's community room. Over 30 kids and their parents showed up, and everyone had the best time. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Judah, this is great. Judah, let me tell you what. Mom, if we can schedule it, I will do a free virtual lesson for your next meeting in your community rooms library. Find out if they have a screen and you write to me through um, through this Dinosaur George Kids, or actually you can write me through through Patreon, either one. But you write to me, and I will do a free live Zoom lesson for all of your members of your club. That's how proud I am of you. That's how proud I am of you. Okay, Mason Allosaurus would like to request a podcast on Quetzalcoatlus. Well, guess what, Mason Allosaurus? You were one of the reasons why I did it. You were the one I was talking about. I read your question, Mason Allosaurus, and that's why we did this dinosaur now. That's so cool. Oh, remember I gave a shout out to Luke and Joel at the very beginning? Well, you guys posted pictures of that visit, and that was absolutely great. Mom, Dad, thank you so much for bringing them by. I'm so glad I was there that day. I happened to be there that day. I am so glad I got to see you all Thank you for that. And that's just absolutely great. Uh, one question, though, Luke and Joel, aren't you two married? Where were your wives that day? You guys didn't bring your wives in? I, I don't understand. Aren't you like 35 years old and your little brother's 25? Okay, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> great seeing you boys. All right, Junior wanted to show this raptor uh, that insists that it sings cha-cha-cha. All right, listen to me, Junior. Do not bring your little cha-cha-cha raptor onto this page. This thing, that thing is driving me nuts. And that's exactly how big it is. And that's why it keeps biting me and attacking me. Why? Why would you even want to bring a cha-cha-cha raptor around when it's going to do that? All right, Heatho Raptor. Hey, love your new pocket knife, buddy. You did so many great things. I see your videos and I love your pictures and that's too cool. And then, hi, Dinosaur George. I'm Lane, the paleontologist, and I have a question for you. I listened to two podcast episodes today. All right, let's take a listen then. Hang on a second. Let me set this up, and let's hear what you have to say. Let's go. Ready? Go. go. Hi, Dinosaur George. I'm paleontologist Lane. Who's bigger than Dinosaur T-Rex? Great question. Great question. And thank you, paleontologist Lane. It's a pleasure to see you. Mom, thank you for taking time to post the picture or the video. It's great. Okay, Indominus Rex is bigger than Tyrannosaurus Rex, but we have to remember Indominus Rex is a pretend dinosaur. 
Tyrannosaurus Rex is real. So with the pretend dinosaurs, um, they made it bigger. That was absolutely great. Well, listen, everybody, I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. I don't have any interviews at the end of this particular one because, unfortunately, I haven't been able to interview anybody. So for everybody out there, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. I hope you learned less learning about Quetzalcoatlus. I hope you all enjoy watching the new movie when it comes out. Now I've got to take me a short break because I have a virtual lesson to teach my Patreon club members. So for everybody out there, tell your parents you love them for supporting you. For you older listeners, thank you so much for listening. I have a lot of listeners that are not children and they listen because they enjoy it. So for all of you, don't think I don't think of you. I try to make the the um, creature or feature creature part interesting for you. And so I know a lot of you listen to that and then you go on. So thank you all for being part of this. Thank you for joining and listening. And if you have any suggestions for a new podcast subject, if you're a Patreon Club member, send it to me through your Patreon page. If you are a member of the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, post it there. Or go to my website, dinosaurgeorge.com. Click on the Dinosaur George Kids podcast. And there is a form that you can fill out. Take care of yourself. Be kind to everybody. If you see somebody in your school or your neighborhood who doesn't have a lot of friends, reach out to them and see if they want to be your friend. If they do, you've just made a new friend. And that's the greatest thing you can do. Take care, everybody. See ya. Listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge.